The race to 5G is on, and the battle for talent is getting fierce. Welcome to 5G Talent Talk with Carrie Charles, a podcast dedicated to helping you face the future workforce head on. Navigate this challenging talent landscape with innovative strategies to attract, retain, and engage people in this new world of work. Only here on 5G Talent Talk with Carrie Charles, CEO of Broadstaff Talent Solutions. Thanks for joining me today on 5G Talent Talk. I'm Carrie Charles, your host. And today we are going to talk about how to break into the C-suite. We're going to be speaking today specifically to women in tech and telecom, but really, I believe that everyone can benefit from this episode. So I would love to introduce you to our guest today. Very excited to have with me, Eugenia Jordan. She is the CMO of the Telecom Infra Project, also known as TIP. She is a sought-after speaker and telecom writer contributing to publications like RCR Wireless, The Fast Mode, Developing Telecoms, and many others. She's also an inventor holding 12 patents that include 5G and Open RAN. So her passion is to help other women in tech realize their full potential. In fact, she has a new book that's going to be released in May of 2023, and it is awesome. I will tell you, I read a great bit of it this weekend. You will love it. It's a leadership development book called Unlimited, The 17 Proven Laws for Success in a Workplace Not Designed for You. She also won the Outstanding Achievement Diversity in Tech Glomo Award by GSMA at the Mobile World Congress this year in 2023. And she was a founding member of the Boston Chapter of Chief, an organization for women in the C-suite. So Eugenia, thank you for joining me today. Thank you so much for having me. Yeah, so please, I want to know all about your path that led you to where you are today. So I know you could probably take hours to get you here, but just give us some highlights. Sure, absolutely. So my journey started in communist Russia in 1970. And the way I was raised and brought up is was to keep your head down, work hard, don't stand out, don't talk about your accomplishments. And I had to break a lot of my upbringing's values and those triggers when I moved out of Russia. I am forever grateful to my mom. She was a single mom raising me and my sister in communist Russia. And the only thing she believed in is that her daughters deserved a better life than she had. So she scraped enough money, enough money to send me and my sister to Canada. And I'm forever grateful. So all my life and all my achievements, it's her because I always wanted to make her proud. and. I am who I am because of her, because she taught me resilience, she taught me courage, and she made me believe in me. So the reason I am the CMO today, though I was not born in the States, I don't have a marketing degree, I have a master's in teaching and a computer undergrad from Canada. It's because I knew that if I worked hard, if I played fair, if I constantly learned if I negotiated, if I believed in myself, I could be 
anything I want to be. So true, Eugenia. That's a beautiful story. I feel the same way about my mother as well. So that touched me. So tell me about your current role and what you're doing today. So let me give you some tips from the Tip CMO. So Tip is a telecom info project, is an industry organization with one mission only to bring open and disaggregated innovation to the market, to accelerate innovation in telecom. We are a community and we believe in the power of the community. In our community, we have mobile operators, we have vendors, we have system integrators. And what we do is we jointly develop roadmaps open and disaggregated solutions for RAN, for transport, Wi-Fi. Then after we develop the roadmaps as a community, we test and validate them through TIP. And then we provide those blueprints to mobile operators. So by deploying TIP-developed solutions, they know it can be deployed in real life. Our most successful deployments are in open RAN and open transport. So if we use an analogy, TIP is a matchmaker. So we like match.com for telecom solutions. And by the way, I love match.com because that's how I met my husband 12 years ago on match.com. Wow, that's great. Oh my goodness. So it does work. Match.com works and Telecom Info Project works as match.com for open and disaggregated. So Eugenia, I know that you have such a passion for women in tech and growth. And although we'd like it to be different and there's still a disparity there, and I know that there's not enough women in C-suite roles today, and especially in tech and telecom. So what would you say are the roadblocks for women on their way to the C-suite? So that is a good question because you're absolutely right. If we look at data in telecom, there's 35% of women, they are entering telecom. Then as we progress to the C-suite, we only have 12% of female representation in telecom C-suite. So why? We lose those 23%. Why don't they make it to the C-suite? So I personally believe the main roadblock, it's ourselves. Because as someone told me 23 years ago, when I started in the industry as a receptionist, that I cannot be CMO or chief marketing officer because of not having this or being from certain background or my gender, I would look at them and I would ask them why question, why? Why not me? So the biggest barriers, it's us women not believing in ourselves and not asking that question. I love that because I think so many times we'll ask ourselves, why me? Why me? And instead ask a different question, why not me? And it's so powerful. So Eugenia, in the book, you talk about navigating this system. What does this mean? Another great question. So when I moved here, so in 95, I moved from Russia to Canada. And then in 2000, I moved here. And I was looking for a job after 9-11 in 2001 when there was no jobs. So I did not know that system existed or corporate America existed. Again, I was coming from a different culture. So I didn't know that the system was developed by white men for white men. 
And again, when I entered the system, I believed that if I worked hard, I could become anything because this is what I was taught in school, by my mom, in Russia, in Canada. What I realized are two things, that working hard in the system, though you might be brilliant at what you do, is not enough. You need to have two things. One of them is you need to have a mentor and a sponsor. And there's a difference between them. Mentor is someone that can help you realize your full potential. And sponsor is someone based on your hard work, your fire in the belly that they see will give you the opportunity. So that's number one, having support in the system within the system. And number two is realizing that this system is like a matter, right? So Bazoma St. Joy, she's the very famous CMO, Nike and Uber. So she has this concept of matter in a molecular. When molecular enters a matter, so when Eugenia enters a system, enters corporate environment, we enters telecom, obviously the system will change me, but also Eugenia will change the system. So in realizing as that it's not forgetting who you are, it's not adjusting and fitting in the system, but it's growing in this system and staying authentic to who you are is what's going to make you successful in the system. So those two things, mentors and sponsors, and being authentic to who you are and being willing, able, to challenge the system, bring new ideas, and be yourself. Eugenia, let's dig into those a little bit. Let's talk about mentors and sponsors first, because I want to really clarify this distinction. And also, how do we find a sponsor? And how do we maximize that relationship? Absolutely. So it is very hard for women to find sponsors, only because on top layer, majority is men. So I gave you the number, it's 12%, so 88% men in the C-suite. And unfortunately, there is a bias. Men normally would sponsor or mentor someone that looks like them, someone that reminds of them being young and college and ambition. So if a woman wants to find a sponsor, sponsor that will help her get interesting projects or new opportunities, she needs to earn it. So, and let me tell you a story about how I was sponsored into a marketing position. So the year was 2007. I was recently divorced. I was a single parent and I was working as an executive assistant, chief of staff, managing board of directors. And I was really good at what I did and I enjoyed it. But I realized there was no growth. There was no growth. I was 36 at the time and I wanted to grow. So I found out that there was a position, an opening for a marketing manager. And I really wanted the job because I knew once the opportunity is given, I'm going to excel. So it was January of 2007. I walked into my boss's office, who was the CEO of that company. And I asked him for an internal transfer. And it was scary. And I remember... I didn't know what to expect. I was holding my breath as I was asking for the transfer. And I remember him getting up from his desk, coming 
to me because I was standing in front of him, giving me a big hug and saying, I'm going to miss you, but I cannot prevent you from growing. Why did he sponsor me into a new role? Why did he give me this opportunity? Because for the six years prior, I earned it. I earned his trust. I worked very hard. So he knew based on my work history, my accomplishments, that I would succeed in the new role. So Eugenia, would we ask someone to be our sponsor? I mean, would that be appropriate? It is appropriate, but obviously you can just go to a person that you don't know. So the steps are, so the three steps to identify a sponsor. A sponsor, it's someone normally in your organization that can give you that opportunity or an an interesting project. So mentors, they can be outside from your organization, but sponsors, they're normally within your organization. So identifying those key people that can give you those opportunities is step number one. Step number two is asking for a meeting and having an honest conversation with that person around your ambition and your growth and asking how you can help them. It's not asking for a promotion right away because in some cases, they might not even know who you are and what you do, but asking how you can help them, proving yourself. And then once you prove yourself, asking for those opportunities, projects or promotions, that would be a step three. So I want to go back to authenticity because you talked about this earlier, and I think this is such a powerful topic, especially for women. So when you talk about in the book, being authentic at work, and I think you said never apologize for being yourself. So I think there's been times even in my own life where I felt like I had to act differently or be someone different in certain situations, right? And so how do we be our full selves, but at the same time, have our eye on those career goals at the same time and make all of that work, right? Yes, absolutely. So the way I see it, if I don't tell my full story, if I don't control my narrative about myself, then someone else will. And authenticity comes from accepting every part of our Story. Growing up poor in Russia, Ursula Burns, the first Black CEO, she wrote a wonderful book, Who You Are Is Not Where You Are. That's one of the quotes from that book. And being authentic is realizing that all parts of your story are what made you you. And accepting that you might not have a perfect childhood, went to the perfect college, but you still deserve the place at the table. And bringing your whole self to work is bringing all those parts of the story. For example, me, I'm a Russian immigrant. I was a single mom. I'm not an engineer. I have a computer undergrad. So all those pieces of this story make me. So by sharing that story at the beginning of conversations or sharing it on digital channels, I allow people to see who I am as a human. So true. And I've learned that the the older I get, I have, I've learned this lesson and really would love to see 
women learning this at a younger age that you can be you, just be everything who you are and just let go of the shame or anything that's holding you back from being you. So I really appreciate that conversation. So you said shame and there is a Brene Brown talk, listening to shame. And it's one of the best TED talks that is out there because you're absolutely right. The reason we don't bring our full selves to work because we're afraid we're going to be judged. They're going to judge me because I grew up poor or I didn't go to the best college. And authenticity is realizing that we all have broken places or vulnerable places and using your vulnerable self to display your authentic self and being courageous, telling all parts of your story. So how do we overcome imposter syndrome? So that's one of my laws. That's the law of accomplishment, because as women or as underrepresented, and especially the culture I grew up, Russian culture, we don't feel comfortable or we feel it's rude to talk about our accomplishments and realizing that we've accomplished a lot helps fight the imposter syndrome. So I would suggest to people that are listening is to take a piece of paper and write down all their accomplishments. Write them down. If you run out of paper, turn it around and keep writing. Because I bet there is so many accomplishments going to be written on that piece of paper. And the only way to shut that imposter syndrome up is to change the way we think. because. As humans, we can change our thought process. So instead of saying, oh, I shouldn't apply for this job because I only have 80% of qualifications, we should say, oh my God, this job is so perfect for me because I have 80% of what they're looking for. I only have to learn 20%. This is a piece of cake. Perception shift, definitely. You mentioned self-promotion, and I know that a lot of people have challenges with self-promotion and personal branding, and those are buzzwords now, and we know we have to do it really in order to get to that next level. But will we ever become comfortable with self-promotion, or do we just need to get out there and do it? And can you also address with that how introverts can self-promote and network? I know you discussed that in your book. Oh, so I would say, Carrie... Just get out and do it because if you are not talking about your accomplishments, someone else, and I can, again, tell a story from when I was laid off last year in June, and I had a very strong personal brand, digital brand on LinkedIn. I've built a large network in telecom and across executive women in the U.S. and globally. So when I got laid off and I posted on the platform, the LinkedIn platform, that I'm laid off, but also hundreds of other talented people are laid off. And I asked for help. People help. They send jobs our way. They created special task forces for those people. So me having a strong personal brand actually helped other people get jobs. So it was never a self-promotion. It was a service to people like me. I feel the same way. And I mentor people as well. And then when I'm coaching, I'll say, make it bigger than you. Because when it's all about you, 
It may feel uncomfortable, but when you make it bigger than you, right, as a service to other people, then it just takes on a different life, right? Exactly. It's a service to people like you. It's a service to your company because you having a digital brand on LinkedIn or in different publications, webinars or events speaking, it actually promotes them as well. It gives your company visibility. So it's a service to your company as well. And reframing it this way as a service to others will help to look at this not as a self-promotion, but as a service. And same with networking. Your other question was about how introverts can network. The way I look at at networking, again, as a service, when I network, I want to learn about another human. Before this podcast, I was actually having lunch with a LinkedIn friend. She reached out and she offered to go out and have lunch. So I went and I got to know another human. So if you look from that standpoint, that you learning something interesting about another human, it's not as difficult to network because it's human. So another area that we often find discomfort is negotiation. It could be negotiating for the next level. I mean, just, I don't know if we really feel confident here and trained here. I have so many women that will call me and they'll say, oh my gosh, I need to get a raise or ask for something, or I've got this new job and I need to get this particular thing. What do I do? So what are your thoughts on the art of negotiation? How do we get better at it? So three steps again. So step one, always, let me say it one more time, always negotiate. If we don't negotiate early on in our career, data shows we're leaving about $1 million on the table throughout our career. So it's 1 million reasons for everyone to negotiate. That's number one. Number two, when you negotiate, don't just negotiate for money. Negotiate for access to meetings. Negotiate for access to classes, coaching, flexibility, time off. Negotiate for what will make your life whole that you will enjoy your career. Don't always negotiate on money. Look at the overall package and not just financial package, but package that will fit your life. That's number two. And number three, remember step number one, always negotiate. That's great. So we tend to connect the negotiation with our self-worth and then it becomes emotional, right? So you talk about how to take the emotions out of it. I mean, that can be really difficult at times. How do we do that? Absolutely. And so it's very interesting that you're bringing it up because in my book, I talk about how men would do it. For example, when women or other underrepresented groups like immigrants like me, we fail, for example, we always go do soul searching. Men don't. They always ask for a second, third, and fourth chance. So why not use the best practices from people that build the system? What do men do? They always negotiate because it works. And it's a part of the system. It's a part of the process. And negotiation is not going to ruin any relationship because that's what we as women will always think, oh my God, if I go negotiate, I might hurt their feelings. And if they say no, they're going to think this way about me. No, self-promotion, 
negotiation, they are expected. So by not negotiating, we're doing disservice to ourselves. So ladies, go out there and negotiate. We want that $1 million that's left on the table. So exactly. <laughs> don't leave that exactly. there. Um, exactly. The final point here that one thing I found just so interesting in your book is something you call perfecting your craft. And there was this quote that I loved. You must immerse yourself in your work. You have to fall in love with your work. You must dedicate your life to mastering your skill that's the secret of success. And so what is this idea around perfecting your craft? Because I know nowadays we want to learn all different types of things and we want our hands in different projects. A lot of people don't stay on the job longer than a year and a half. So talk about that, perfecting your craft. So I wouldn't be here today if I didn't perfect my craft as a marketer. It takes time, like good wine or scotch. It takes time. It takes learning. It takes patience, but just as good wine or good scotch, my husband is a scotch drinker, so he always tells me it takes time, 10, 15 years. Any paintings, Da Vinci, Michelangelo, they take time. So perfecting your craft is based on time. It's at least 10,000 hours. It's based on passion. Because you need to feel passionate about, and if it's you don't feel passionate about, then maybe it's time to go elsewhere. And I know it's kind of silly, but I'm passionate about open and disaggregated. I wouldn't have written 70 articles about it during COVID if I didn't feel passionate about the innovation. And the last one, in addition to investing time, passion, is be open to learning listening to podcasts, reading, talking to people, and figuring out where that might take you in the future as well. I love this because I'm a very passionate person and I never picked just one skill or one industry or one thing to do. And I did it for 20, 30 years. I have a very eclectic past with, I've been involved in so many different things that have led me to where I am today. And but I love this because this idea around mastering your skill, everything I've done, even though it's all different. So I think there's one common thread with our passion. And if we master that, then that's the ticket to our success. Would you say that's true? Yes. Success and happiness, because there's no redo in life. So it's not like if you're unhappy at your job or in your personal life, magically in 70, 80 years, you're going to have another life. There's no redo. So we need to find passion in our personal and professional life. And don't settle. Don't settle for anything but passion and love and happiness. And that will lead to success. One of my favorite songs, the lyrics say, don't settle for anything less than everything. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Yeah, and don't be afraid to be an underdog because this movie that won many Oscars was an underdog movie. All those actors and actresses were underdogs. So do you find your passion, do you, and settle for everything. I love it. I love this conversation. So I really want to talk about very specific takeaways or a step, let's say. So in your view, what is the first step to take or a step that we can take today if the C-suite is our ultimate goal? One word, plan. You need to create a plan. It needs to be on paper. 
It needs to be with the milestones. It needs to be with objectives. And you need to track yourself because if you don't put it on paper, then you are not going to hold yourself accountable. And holding yourself accountable, it is important. For example, I create my plan in December of each year during Christmas week, and I create a plan across all my roles because I'm a professional, I'm a chief marketing officer, I'm also an author, I'm passionate about women and technology. I'm also a mom, I have a high school senior, I'm a wife, I have an extended family, I have friends. So you need to plan your career the way that you will also have a life. And it's like being intentional, right? You have to be intentional. You can't just let it unfold. It's unfortunately, no one is going to give you anything. You have to work for everything. And please work set goals for yourself. Many of you that are listening, you're very successful at what you do because you have goals, you have objectives, you have KPIs, you measure, you adjust. So why don't you apply the same principle to your career? You create a plan, you create milestones, you create KPIs, just like with your work, become very intentional with your career planning as well. Drop the mic. I think that we can just end it right there. That is well said, amazing advice. So Eugenia, first of all, where can we buy your book? I know it's released on May 23rd. And also if we want to connect with you, how do we do that? So LinkedIn is my jam. I'm on LinkedIn, Eugenia Jordan, the only Eugenia Jordan on LinkedIn, Eugenia with an I. You can pre-order the book on eugeniajordan.com. There is a pre-order button. And thank you very much for your support because as an industry, as a community, together we can change the face of leadership. You are so right, Eugenia. Thank you for who you are, all you do for this industry, for women. And we just need more people in the world like you. So thank you for coming on the show. Thank you, Carrie, so much for having me. You take care. Thank you for listening to another informative episode of 5G Talent Talk brought to you by RCR Wireless News, Telecom Careers, and Broadstaff Talent Solutions. As we advance into the future, we promise to bring you the resources you need to navigate this ever-changing landscape of 5G to help you attract, retain, and engage people in this new world of work. To access the show notes or leave a review, visit broadstaffglobal.com. Until next time.